Welcome to the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast, where we provide you with your weekly diagnosis of everything fantasy football. Whether it's season-long leagues, dynasty, DFS, or even IDP, we got you covered all season long. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get to it. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And of course, as always, I'm your host, John June, and welcome in to another episode, episode 155 of the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And of course, as I mentioned every week, we are in our off-season edition of the show. Uh, That means one episode a week. Uh, So we're covering mainly rookies, dynasty landscape, things of that nature. So we've already broke down top five rookies at uh, each of the offensive positions, um, offensive skill positions, obviously. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, um, tight end, covered all four of those in in separate episodes. So um, last week broke down the tight ends, also had Nick Scripp. Uh, jump on that episode. Uh, Nick Scripp of P2W Fantasy uh, had, was kind enough to jump on with me. So we discussed some dynasty by lows. So definitely want to check that out if you already haven't. Uh, before that, we uh, covered some running backs. Um, so that that was uh, a good episode as well. The one before that uh, had another guest, David Gatieri, where we covered tight ends, broke down uh, just all tight ends across the entire landscape, uh, mainly as it pertains to Dynasty, but how you should be attacking that position, which I thought was fun. Uh, before that, the episode before that, we covered wide receivers, top five fantasy wide receivers uh, as it pertains to you know these rookies coming into the Dynasty landscape. Um, and we also had uh, Kevin Coleman of Hammercast, the Hammercast Network, and the Double D's podcast. He... Um, was kind enough to jump on with me as well and, and, and break down these this receiver position. And then the week before that, it was all quarterbacks, man. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now. But basically, as I sit on this mic, uh, Saturday, March 20th, it's about 8 a.m. We've uh, already got, you know, basically the first wave of free agency has already hit. Um, it's been kind of, I mean, there's been, a, there's been quite a bit of, of movement, especially when you consider some of these deals happened, like the Jared Goff and Matt Stafford deal was announced, you know, yesterday, but that deal happened before the Super Bowl, really. So, um, you know, if that were to happen now, we'd be, it'd be, we'd be going crazy if that trade were to happen now. But, um, you know, I, I would say it's a decent amount of movement, uh, definitely enough to shift the landscape, right? So that's definitely what I'm going to want to talk about today. Uh, I'm not going to go too in-depth, uh, although I did go down the rabbit hole a little bit. But anyway, uh, we are going to talk about some of the, uh, you know, just basically my, my initial reaction to what happened in free agency. Uh, kind of how, you know, what kind of impact I think these players have. Again, this is March, right? These teams haven't drafted uh we don't even know what the full roster is really going to look like. And then obviously tons of things happen with, you know, after post-draft cuts, surprise cuts, and uh, even trades and um, injuries and all these different things, right? So this landscape is still going to change. And that's why I don't want to commit too much to it right now. But obviously everything going on in Dynasty, um, this is a good opportunity, as I said, to buy players, right? Because information is what's driving the price, not really what's happening on the field, which, um, you know, 
inf- you could use this information as leverage, right? A lot of times, I'm not saying, you know, you go out there and try to, um, you know, pull, pull pull a fast one on your league mates. I'm just saying, you know, if, if one of your league mates is particularly high on a player's landing spot, you use that to your leverage, right? Use that to your advantage. So, um, yeah, my initial reaction, we're going to dig in here. Next week, I'm also going to have a guest on, and we're just going to go. I know we covered by lows with with uh, Nick last week, so we'll, we'll do something similar. Uh, it'll be like a free agency uh, reactionary by low. Uh, so uh, it'll be a cool conversation to have. Um, so I'm excited about that one next week. Again, not going to spoil, uh, spoil it about who the guest is. You're just going to have to come back to find out, but... Uh, today is just me, right? So, um, let's start with this, uh, you know, this initial reaction of free agency. Starting at the quarterback position, it's Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. We always start at the quarterback position. It's just how we do. Um, but, where do we begin? Obviously, we talked about Matt Stafford and Jared Goff about a month ago. Um, you know, not going to really talk about them again here. But, Andy Dalton, he's a quarterback. And he's changing teams here, not via trade, signed as a free agent. Hence, this is my initial reaction to free agency. But you get my point here. Andy Dalton signed with the Chicago Bears for a one-year deal worth about $10 million. Uh, That's potential starter money, but this definitely doesn't stop the Bears from potentially adding a quarterback in the draft. Uh, Allen Robinson, you know, who's who's having some back and forth with the Bears, if he stays, then this is a really good situation for Dalton and you know kind of one similar to what we've seen from him before you know uh especially if they add Kenny Galladay which you know that's kind of in the rumblings and we'll touch on that one a little bit later um but then this becomes a really good situation for Andy Dalton and so I think he's somebody who makes a quality QB2 in a super flex league depending on what happens you know with Allen Robinson uh with with Kenny Galladay, but, um, you know, again, we talked about this last week with Nick Scripp, right? Uh, he brought up Jared Goff as a buy, and, I mean, Andy Dalton is very similar, um, in a very similar realm, right? I mean, again, if people, if a quarterback or a player makes you say ill when you think about having them on your fantasy team, sometimes you might want to look into that, especially if that player is a quarterback and saying, but wait, is this somebody that I could actually have on my fantasy team? And so, Andy Dawn, I think, you know, is it, I mean, guys, he can't be any worse than what Mr. Trubisky was or Nick Foles for, for Allen Robinson and, and these weapons here. Um, you know, Andy Dawn, again, he, he gets a ton of flack. He's not, he's not great, but he's not terrible, right? I mean, he's, he's, uh, a, you know, average in basically every statistical category so um that's what he is he's he's just an average quarterback and i think that that's that's going to be fine here for what the bears are obviously trying to do maybe it's not fine for bears fans and and maybe they don't they don't make a playoff game or win the playoff game or anything like that but um if you look at just the fantasy output and what you expect i think you know i don't think this is bad news for for Andy dawn at all um you know, hopefully the Chicago, hopefully Chicago can you know continue to shore up that offensive line, get that squared away because we saw that be a problem for Dalton in Dallas last year. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, again, 
if if Galladay signs and they can convince Allen Robinson to stay, then this is this is you know should be a good situation here for Andy Dalton. If they if they can't get Galladay and Allen Robinson, you know somehow has to stay again, good situation. But if Allen Robinson goes and Kenny Galladay doesn't stay and they don't have a number one receiver, then yeah, I'm 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 out on Andy Dalton, and that's why I say he's a quality QB two, kind of depending on what happens. And so, look, if you if you're sitting there in a super flex league and you need a you badly badly need a quarterback, I mean, I would try to probably get Dalton right now because again, the outlook isn't that great. Now, if they sign Galladay, you know, you're you're gonna have to spend more to go get him. So that's kind of my thought process there. And so we go from uh, one redhead quarterback who wears 14 to a slightly redhead quarterback who wears 14. And I'm talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Signs with the Washington football team for a one-year, $10 million deal. Basically identical deal to Andy Dalton. Um, And this is a move I absolutely love for these weapons and Terry McLaurin and the newly signed uh, Curtis Samuel. Um, but Fitzpatrick, you know, maybe he doesn't take the team over the hump in terms of of getting them to a playoff a playoff game or a, you know winning a playoff game or anything like that. But I think what he does for these pass game weapons is definitely a significant upgrade over what Alex Smith was. Again, Alex Smith, wonderful story, but on the field uh, just wasn't good enough. Um, you know that the. the the Washington football team couldn't throw, couldn't push the ball down the field, uh, which really didn't play into what Washington wanted to do. Right, you know, I think halfway through the year they kind of realized, like, hey, we want to beat you up, um, you know, with the Antonio Gibson here, and, and and get this play action game going between um, Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin, and and they couldn't do it because Alex Smith teams knew Alex Smith couldn't throw the ball more than ten yards down the field, and so. You look at what Ryan Fitzpatrick brings. He, you know he he's going to help out these uh, these wide receivers. He's going to help out with this with this run game as well. Um, and so, you know, I'm I'm all for the signing. Uh, I think again, I would expect both Chicago and Washington to to try to add a a, a quarterback here. Um, you know, maybe they try to get a Mac Jones. I, I doubt that he'll make it to them. Uh, maybe they go the Kyle Trask route or, or Kellen Mond or something. Somebody developmental. Uh, maybe they trade for uh, Sam Darnold. Just somebody to get in there to sit behind these two quarterbacks. But, um, you know, these guys were paid to either be uh, low-level starters or high-end backups, right? And so um, when you look at the, the numbers on these deals, one-year deals, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're here to be bridges. And so... It is what it is, right? So, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, we've seen him be productive. Um, we just, you know, you just have to understand that there's a possibility that the Washington football team, you know, drafts a quarterback in April, right? And so, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't promised a starting job. Andy Dalton apparently was. Uh, but if Andy Dalton doesn't know anything, uh, Mike Glennon was also promised a starting job, and then the Bears drafted Mr. Trubisky. So, Things happen. NFL is ever changing, so nothing will be set in stone. Uh, nothing at all. So, moving on to the wide receivers, I don't think I missed any 
any particular quarterbacks that uh, of of any significance here. Uh, obviously, like I said, cover Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. So let's move on to these wide receivers and let's stay with Curtis Samuel here. Uh, I know I just mentioned him talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but Curtis Samuel is a guy that I absolutely love. And if y'all listen to this podcast, you you know it. Uh, I love Curtis Samuel. He's He's got amazing versatility. And I expect that versatility to be utilized in Washington. Signs for a three-year, $34.5 million deal. And when you look at you know the OC and Scott Turner, who was with Samuel in Carolina two years ago, and we saw the versatility then, combine that with last year when Samuel had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, 200 coming by way of rushing. I think, uh, you know, Samuel's going to help create some space for Terry McLaurin, who was a college teammate of Samuel. So they've got some some chemistry and a relationship there already. And again, we have Fitzpatrick here, who he's not Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or any any of this. But Fitzpatrick, he's got this D gaff in him, man, and, and, and you know, a, a don't give a you know what. And, and he, he's going to be great for these pass catchers because he's not going to be afraid to just let it rip, you know. And and uh, so I like that. And I like I like that uh, what it means for a guy like Curtis Samuel. And uh, again, I haven't done all of my projections and my stats and things like that. But, um, you know, I have a I have a process and I haven't been able to fully play my process out because there's some data that I need to run through my models. But um statistically you could kind of expect similar output last year from some of these teams obviously there's some randomness involved and some obviously coaching changes and scheme changes and personnel changes all have an impact on that but i can make an estimated guess right now as we sit here march about what curtis samuel could be what kind of role he could fill in this offense and i see one similar to the one that he filled you know uh in in carolina last year i think you could expect somewhere around 800 receiving yards somewhere around 200 rushing yards i don't think those are out of out of the realm of possibility um so I, you know, I, I do think that Curtis Samuel is somebody that's going to be productive, and, and especially when you consider the fact that last year he was basically, um, I mean, you know, and I had to do a lot of thinking about this too, right? Because last year, you know, seeing him as a number three receiver, but still getting a thousand yards from scrimmage, still able to put up all this production, and trying to understand why, and realizing like, okay, well. You know, because I went looking at projections, and I'm like, there weren't even all these opportunities available. Where did he get them? But obviously, you think about Christian McCaffrey coming out, so it's a little bit different because uh, he he missed so much time with injury, so that's more opportunities. And obviously, we know Carolina had to get creative here. Uh, we saw Curtis Samuel run the ball 41 times. Uh, you know, obviously, there's more opportunities in the pass game because Christian McCaffrey is like 120 target running back, 116 target running back, whatever it is. And so, um, there will be some of these opportunities available here for Curtis Samuel, maybe not the same level of opportunities he got last year, but he's going to be the number two receiver here as opposed to the number three where he was in Carolina. So, uh, definitely think that, uh, He's, yeah, he's somebody who's tricky because um, I don't see a world where Washington gets a significant quarterback upgrade. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the, is the best it's going to be. But Curtis Samuel is somebody that's so young 
Um, I actually bought Curtis Samuel for a a low second round pick. It was a it was the two eleven and a twelve person uh, four round rookie draft, uh, and I just again just really love the player in Curtis Samuel. Um, honestly, probably didn't really have to make that deal, but um, I just I I really wanted Curtis Samuel on my roster, and this was the way for me to get it done. Um, and so yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at here. But Curtis Samuel again, a great player. He's only 24 years old. He'll, you know, by the end of this deal, he'll be 27. Um, but you know, he's he's just he's just a really good football player. He's got amazing versatility, and that's something that I really really value uh, from a fantasy perspective. Because to be honest, the more versatile you are, uh, the less that I have to worry about how you're going to get your fantasy points. Right? I mean, a guy like Curtis Samuel, uh, you know, if Washington's quarterback situation goes to crap. Um, you know, he's a guy that you could probably rely on to, to, for more, for, for more consistent, uh, reliable production than you would like Terry McLaurin. If the, if the, if the, you know, if the situation went to crap, just because of how Curtis Samuel will most likely be utilized. Right. So just things to think about there. Um, moving on to the next wide receiver, Will Fuller, Another one of these guys I have on my dynasty roster. Uh, he signed with the Dolphins on a one-year deal worth just over $10 million. Um, will Fuller will miss one game through the suspension that he had for PDs in 2020. But he's going to slide in here as the number two wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins. Initially, I don't love this move because I'm not entirely in love with the fit with Tua at quarterback. Obviously, you guys know if you've... If you've Heard obviously on this podcast. If you if you saw me on Kevin's podcast recently, the, the Double D's podcast, um, I'm not a huge fan of Tua. I just I never thought that he was all that special when he was in college. Uh, not the number one pick tank for Tua special that everybody talked about. Um, obviously, he got injured and uh, with the hip injury, and I you know I wish him well and I hope that he can recover from that. But um, you know I just never really saw it with Tua, and so, again, this is a, he, he wasn't, you know, so I'm not in love with this fit, because Tua wasn't a great deep ball passer, and that's where Will Fuller really excels, and so, as a, as a Fuller manager, I'm not happy, but this is a one-year deal, so, um, I need one year of production and hopefully we can move on to a better situation. But again, I'm, I'm really not happy about this situation with Will Fuller. Um, I would have loved for him to go to something somewhere like, um, you know, I, I know Green Bay was interested in him. Uh, if he could have ended up in a situation, you know, like the Jets potentially where, you know, there's an option here for him to be uh, this, you know, number, uh, you know, this, this deep threat and fill that role that Robbie Anderson had. Or even, you know, we saw Kansas City going after a player like Juju. Uh, how about Will Fuller on Kansas City playing with Patrick Mahomes across from Tyreek Hill and, and, and Travis Kelsey? Come on, man. Just like, why couldn't we get these things done? But again, it's why we manage fantasy football teams and not actual football teams. Because apparently, we don't we don't know we don't know any better. So that's what they say. Anyway, moving on. Juju Smith Schuster goes back to Pittsburgh on a one year, eight million dollar deal. And I will tell you right now, I knew this move was going to happen. Not surprised not surprised by it very much. A lot of times when news comes out, you have to ask yourself, who does this benefit? 
who benefits from this news being out there, right? Because NFL teams, NFL, you know, players, coaches, you know, they like to be, they like to stay tight-lipped, right? You know, they they don't like to give a whole lot of information. So when they are, when there is information being given, you got to ask yourself, well, who benefits most from this information being out there? And so when I see Juju Smith-Schuster, I see a report saying that he's, you know, the Jets are monitoring his situation. And then 15 minutes later, I see another report that's saying Pittsburgh hasn't closed the door on on Juju Smith-Schuster. That's just Juju's camp trying to drum up interest. And so when I see that, I saw what I thought to believe. And again, I could have totally been wrong and I could still be wrong, but it looks like I'm right. But anyway, it just seemed like pitch like Juju was just trying to get Pittsburgh to pick up the price. Right. They were trying to, to get Pittsburgh to like, hey, you know, I've got the Jets out here giving me, you know, give me offers. I got Kansas City over here with a really good offer. You know, I've got Baltimore Ravens are coming at me hard. Like, what are you trying to do, Pittsburgh? And so Pittsburgh came up with an eight million dollar deal on a one year deal. So Juju takes a you know significant discount, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I thought Juju would, would. I mean, he probably was looking for fourteen, fifteen million dollars a year. Settles for a one year deal, eight million dollars. Uh, goes back to Pittsburgh to play with with Big Ben. Um, probably be the wide receiver three. Uh, I think Claypool takes that leap next year. And, and then, obviously, Deontay Johnson continuing to get better and build his chemistry with Big Ben. Uh, but, honestly, I just haven't been a huge fan of Juju's trajectory. And it, it really concerns me. I mean, ever since he had that 1,400-yard breakout season, um, you know, I was willing to throw 2019 away because of the quarterback situation and, and, and all the injuries that they suffered there. But... Uh, last year, I've got no excuse for you, bro. I mean, you, you were basically a glorified running back in, in the past game, uh, 4.4, uh, 4.4, uh, yard average depth of target. I mean, yeah, I just, i just was not a fan. And so I, I honestly don't know what you would even do with Juju Smith-Schuster at this point, right? If you have him, I think you're just holding on to him, um, trying to see if if hey we can capitalize on this one year deal and then after that do you sign somewhere where I can potentially move you because of that price or maybe I keep you because I like the landing spot that much right so again it's 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 very interesting it's going to be very interesting that what happens I don't have a ton of juju I actually have I'll be completely honest I have zero 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 percent juju smith schuster in dynasty leagues just haven't been uh, a fan, and so again, that's kind of where where I'm at here with Juju. Uh, but moving on to the next group of receivers that got signed, and we end up with Corey Davis signs with the New York Jets. Uh, you know, Davis signed for a three-year, thirty-seven and a half million dollar deal, coming off a breakout season in which he was sixteen yards short of a thousand yards even though he just played in 14 games. Uh, he's probably not going to get these numbers in New York. Um, and again, we don't know what the quarterback situation looks like. Could be Sam Darnold. Could be a rookie quarterback. We have to see. Could be, you know, depending on what happens with some legal situations. But, you know, we could ha- also have some other options here. But but Corey Davis, uh, I, I mean, again, 
from I like the fit from a football standpoint, and obviously as as a Jets fan, but from a fantasy perspective, the, the wide receiver I still want on my roster is Denzel Mims. I mean, Corey Davis. Uh, I said this before, kind of redundant to Denzel Mims. They're both 6'3", 200-pound uh, receivers who, who can block v- really well on the outside, um, have a, a physical play style, uh, get open on some play action in these deep crossers. Uh, and again, maybe I'm biased here because uh, Denzel Mims is kind of is, is younger and, and he's more of the unknown than Corey Davis is. Um, but I just... I'm expecting Denzel Mims to take a leap here. And so uh, Corey Davis, I think he will slide. You know, he'll settle in, you know, eventually as, as the uh, number two, three target, right? Because you, you still got uh, Jamison Crowder here. So depending on what happens with him, we'll get on that situation in a little bit. Um, but they added Keelan Cole, who also signed with the New York Jets, a one-year deal, $5.5 million, uh, Nick Scripps. Last week talked about Keelan Cole. I don't think he envisioned this landing spot as being one of the landing spots the, that you know that he was referring to when he was saying that Keelan Cole would be a potentially potentially a, a sleeper pickup. But uh, you know Keelan Cole awesome in flashes last year. Obviously was in a tough situation in Jacksonville. Uh, I do like the addition now. If the Jets move on from Crowder, then that obviously elevates Corey Davis here and Keelan Cole. Um, but if they keep Crowder, then I think, again, Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, they're going to be in number three, number four wide receiver territory. Um, not really where you're looking for your fantasy points, especially in an offense that will be, uh, you know, like this with the New York Jets. It's probably going to have a, a a rookie quarterback or potentially sub subpar quarterback play. Um you know, was they're sorting it out, right? So especially early on, right? Installing a new offense, all these different things, right? So not really the the place where I'm looking for my wide receiver production out the out the gate. Um, next up, uh, didn't sign anywhere, but Kenny Galladay, uh, he's he's dealing. He's got a bunch of trips uh, or a bunch of offers i guess on the table right i mean he visited with the giants he's apparently still in new york um the giants had to do a medical and there there's basically i guess a ton of mutual interest there between kenny galladay and the new york giants so that's something to monitor there i mean if galladay signs with the giants it will immediately step in as the number one target for Daniel Jones. And so I think he'll be a weapon that Daniel Jones has never had before. And that's something that I'd be interested in as a Kenny Galladay manager. Um, but um, there's also these landing spots like Chicago's out there. I know Baltimore is, is is lurking in the shadows as well. And those are two fits that I would really like. I mean, you look at Chicago, him and him and um Allen Robinson talk about monsters of the midway. They might have to change who they're talking about when they say that. But uh, Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson, I mean, <clears throat> it would be a souped-up version of like uh, what the, when they had Brandon Marshall and and, and Alshon Jeffrey. So um, yeah, I would I would really be interested in Galladay in a situation like that. I mean, y- you would already automatically know that fifty percent of the team's targets are going to go between those two guys and Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay. Um, now, 
again, if he goes to Baltimore, it's actually a situation I'm really into as well, uh, potentially being the number one receiver there. Uh, so curious to see where he signs. I'm actually also kind of dangling Kenny Galladay out there in, in leagues because um, he is 27, so he's a bit older, uh, dealt with the hip injury last year. Um, and I don't know, it's just like history doesn't, Particular history is not particularly on on Kenny G's side, uh, you know, hitting free agency at 27. Going to go to a second team, going to switch quarterbacks. So, uh, I mean, how productive, how much more production is there in a, in a guy like Kenny G? Not entirely sure there. So I'm just kind of playing that probability game where if I can sell high for Kenny G, um, you know, maybe not a first, not just a first, right? But if I can, you know, um, basically get some kind of package, which includes uh, multiple picks, maybe a first this year and, and, a, and a later and another pick next year, like a second or a third, um, you know, or if I can move Kenny Galladay and and try to down, you know, try to get younger at the position, right? Maybe go from a, a, a Kenny Galladay to like a Denzel Mims, or from a Kenny Galladay to a you know to like a DJ Moore or something like that, where I'm I'm still um, I'm not completely giving up on the player or trading away a player. I'm just getting younger at a player and maybe convincing someone that they're getting an upgrade uh, upgrade with Kenny Galladay. Right. So, um, that's kind of how I'm approaching that situation. Um, you know, and then we also saw some other signings. I mean, wide receiver again, it's, it's a weird position. Uh, there's, there was a lot of movement. I mean, we saw Nelson Aguilar sign with the, the new England Patriots. Um, not really. Yeah. Who cares? Right. I mean, uh, Cam Newton, uh, he's gonna, you know, I mean, we'll talk about these tight ends for sure, but, uh, you know, Cam Newton, uh, Nelson Aguilar, I'm not, I don't really get excited about that. So I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even have a blurb written down for Nelson Aguilar. So we're not, we're just going to end this part where we talk about Aguilar. Um, yeah, I mean, but other than that, I, I don't think there was any other signings. Oh, Marvin Jones signed with, signed with Jacksonville, um, you know, it, it was a two-year, I think, $14 million deal, something like that. So, again, not overly, um, you know, I'm, I'm not leaning one way or another there. I mean, Marvin Jones, no slouch. Uh, so, uh, that's going to be interesting to see what happens because I know there's a lot of excitement with Visca. And, you know, as he enters his second year, you know, had an interesting conversation with, with about him with Kevin. Um, but, you know, I, I love me some Visca, so... Um, definitely not concerned, overly concerned about Marvin Jones' presence there. But, you know, DJ Shark is still a good player. Uh, so that situation is definitely worth monitoring there. Um, all right, let's move on to these running backs, man. Uh, and so somebody who literally was not a free agent at all, but he turns out to be probably what I would call the biggest loser of free agency, in my opinion. Um, that's Josh Jacobs. Um, one of the biggest positives for Jacobs last year. And look, I know it sounds like I'm picking on him because he was my bust last year and all this and that. And I'm like, whatever, right? But I'm just calling it how I see it. Josh Jacobs, one of the biggest positives for him in, in, in 2020 
was that Las Vegas, that Vegas Raiders offensive line, which was so dominant in 2019. Uh, but the Raiders have since gotten rid of at least three of their best guys on that on that line in, in uh, right tackle Trent Brown and guard Gabe Jackson and center Rodney Hudson. So that situation right there is already a downgrade. Uh, and then not to mention they signed Kenyon Drake to a two-year, $11.5 million deal. Uh, that's decent money right there to be a backup. It's not, it's again, not looking good for Jacob's outlook in 2021. You downgrade this offensive line. You add in another running back who has the ability to, to make plays in the pass game. Uh, I don't see a way Josh Jacobs is continuing to sniff any any pass game work. And look, I know Josh Jacobs, you look at the final season numbers, and he had a decent year. But that's never been my problem with Josh Jacobs, and y'all know that. This never been my problem with Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is, is if we're talking about runners in the league, he's one of the best. My issue is the Raiders are continuing to surround Josh Jacobs with running backs that make impacts in the pass game. And so when these when the Raiders, right, last year, I don't even know what they finished, eight and eight, something like that. Some some along something along the lines of the year before. The thing the thing is is when the Raiders are winning uh, they play a team who can't stop the run. Josh Jacobs gets fed. But the moment they play a team who can stop the run and the moment that they're down by 10 points, double digits, whatever you want to call it, Josh Jacobs is nowhere to be found. Maybe he gets a rushing touchdown, right, and saves his day. But that's been my problem with Josh Jacobs is that the inconsistencies, that's going to be the issue. And that's where he kills you. And so, uh, again, if you, it's 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 gonna be a tough time to sell a Josh Jacobs right now. But if if you've got someone out there, I know there's there's Josh Jacobs stands out there everywhere. If you could find one of them and be like, hey man, you know I got Josh Jacobs here. What do you what do you what do you want to do? I would I would totally if I can somehow get in range to get. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, uh, and and flip a Josh Jacobs to do it. I would totally do it. I mean, after Kenny, after what Kenny Gainwell did, we might have to have a conversation there too. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, yeah, if I'm I'm trying to move off of Josh Jacobs. If I can, if I can move off of Josh Jacobs to Austin Eckler. Look, there's people out there that are pissed off at Zeke right now. So if you could change, if you could uh, make Josh Jacobs become Zeke, hey. I'm all for it, brother. I'm all for it. Let's let's make this happen. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with the Josh Jacobs situation. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm picking on the guy because I really am not. Uh, but I just got to, again, call it how I see it. Uh, moving on to the next running back, Chris Carson returns to Seattle on a two-year, $24.5 million deal. Uh, returns to Seattle as the lead dog. Shows you how much faith Seattle had in Penny and, and DJ Dallas. So again, I think they lean on Carson as a strong RB two with you know with RB one upside. As always, health will be the most important thing with Carson. If he can stay healthy, he'll be dominant. But his play style, the way he runs, his physicality is always going to lead him to being banged up at one of the the most injury prone positions that there is. And so. Uh, yeah, I, Chris Carson liked the deal. Um, you know, two years, twenty-four and a half million. That's that's good money there for for a uh, a workhorse back there in in Chris Carson. So 
Definitely like that one. And then Philip Lindsay, man. First off, parts ways with Denver. They don't they don't they don't tender him as a restricted free agent, which I thought is idiotic. You know, you go, you sign Melvin Gordon. Like Philip Lindsay's a better back than Melvin Gordon. I'm sorry. But they part ways. Now I'm I'm hoping as a Jets fan, I'm hoping, hoping and praying. Please sign Philip Lindsay. Please sign Philip Lindsay. Nope. They don't do that. What happens? Philip Lindsay ends up in Houston on a one-year deal. Already in Houston's backfield. Mark Ingram, David Johnson. What the heck is going on over there? Have no idea. What do you do with Philip Lindsay? I mean, it's a one-year deal. If you ask me, um, you know, David Johnson was fine last year. Mark Ingram, he didn't have any juice. I think Philip Lindsay is probably somebody you could buy low on right now. Um, again, one-year deal. He's still relatively young. So I, I'm I'm not opposed to doing that. Um, next up, Jamal Williams. Uh, this is another one that hurt because if you've heard this, if you've heard me talk about Jamal Williams before, you'll know that I absolutely love the guy. I think he could be a, a lead back in the NFL. I mean, we're talking about a guy that can run the ball, uh, can can work in short yardage situations. Is great at the goal line. He's awesome in pass protection. He's he's good at catching balls out the backfield. Jamal Williams literally does it all. And we always used to complain. I mean, I know I did it all the time. Complain that Jamal Williams touches the ball too much. But after a while, I'm realizing like, hey, Jamal Williams is a pretty good player. I just wish that he touched the ball less than Aaron Jones did. You know, so nothing wrong with that. But Jamal Williams signs with the Detroit Lions on a two-year, $7 million deal to back up DeAndre Swift. Again, I'm not concerned about Swift here. I think Swift is a phenomenal player, so I'm not really going to be concerned about this situation one bit. Um, I, again, am concerned for Jamal Williams. I thought that maybe he was somebody that we could buy, but I guess not. Now, moving on to the tight end position. Uh, and this is where things got funky, right? Because on the within the first like minutes of the the tampering period, we get we catch when Jonu Smith is basically signing with the Patriots, and then in the second day of free agency, we get that Hunter Henry signing with the Patriots, and they signed for almost identical deals, twelve and a half million dollars a year each of them, and so. Um, people are asking, is this? Are they trying to recreate? Uh, Gronk and Hernandez, right? Like where Hunter Henry is your Rob Gronkowski, you know, your traditional inline tight end who can play, who can, you know, flex out in the slot, play a little out wide. And then you have John U. Smith, who's like your Aaron Hernandez on the field um, and can play in the backfield. Can you be used as a move blocker? Johnny Smith can even play a little bit of fullback. Uh, Johnny Smith has a lot of versatility as well. And so I think when you look at this offense, right, and it's funny because if you listen to this last year during the summer, you knew that I was really high on the Cam Newton signing. And I was really high on the Cam Newton signing because they had um, the Patriots at the time had just drafted Devin Asiasi in the third round and they drafted Dalton Keene in the third round. And so... I had this vision of what the Patriots were trying to do with these multiple tight ends and um, and Cam Newton in the quarterback run game and all this all this different stuff that they could do, uh, but they just couldn't get it done, right? I guess these tight ends um, weren't playing at a high enough level. Uh, none of them were. Not, neither was Ryan Ryan Izzo. So here they re-signed Cam. 
They get Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry in the fold. Now they can kind of run this offense that I was talking about. So curious to see how this plays out, but I, I like it. I mean, as a, as in terms of which one of these guys I would rather have, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, give me Hunter Henry. Uh, you know, he's, he's always been that traditional tight end. Um, you know, I, I know that I, I gave Hunter Henry a lot of crap last year on this show during the season uh, because I expected more from him. And I expect Josh McDaniels and, and Bill Belichick to get that out of him. And so Hunter Henry's where I'm leaning. Um, other movement at tight end, Jared Cook, who was released by the Saints, has since signed with the Chargers. So uh, poo-pooing on all the Donald Parm, the uh, Donald Parm truthers out there. Uh, that lasted like five minutes. Um, but, you know, I think either way, I think Jared Cook, Donald Parham, they're both worth dart throws. All right. Uh, I mean, you're, you're playing with Justin Herbert. You haven't a chance to attach yourself to a top seven quarterback, top six quarterback, potentially, um, in real life and fantasy. So, uh, I would have zero issues picking these guys up, uh, and seeing kind of what happens. Um, as for the rest of it, uh, you know, kind of just kind of wrap it there. I mean, there was no, I think I hit most of the significant moves in terms of obviously, I know there was a ton of movement on defense and, and on the offensive line and things of that nature, um, which we can touch on as we, you know, get further along into our offseason. Um, but for now, I think this was just a good overlook of my initial reaction of what happened in free agency. But again, as more things happen, uh, we'll continue to break them down on here. And But next week, covering buy lows, um, you know, tracking this, this free agency movement and seeing how players were, you know, overly impacted. And I'm bringing in a good guest to get an opinion on it. So um, please, again, thank you all for listening. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, spending spending your time with us here at the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. We genuinely appreciate it. If you could go uh, rate, review the show, Apple Apple, Podca- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Anchor, wherever it is that you're listening to us, uh, we would love to hear your feedback. Um, but again, we genuinely appreciate y'all. We love y'all, and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. We are out.